This is Romans chapter 1. Good morning. Starting in verse 28, we're going to read through the end of the chapter. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. What a list. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the reading of your word, the hearing of your word, the power that is in the word of God. Jesus, you are the Lord, our God. You rose victorious from the dead. There's hope in your name. There's salvation in your name. There is real power over sin in the name of Jesus Christ. We declare that this morning because it's true. We receive it because we believe it to be our common confession. And Lord, in the same breath, we look around at our world and our world is in big trouble. Sin is dominating so many people's lives. The wrath of God coming down from heaven upon sinners who are willfully ignorant. No, God, we pray for our world that people would meet Jesus, get saved, repent, confess, see the light. But God, this is serious. Your wrath is serious. Your judgment is is serious. The problems in humanity and in our souls are serious. These are big deals. And Lord, it's time for us as a culture to wake up. At least we pray that. Lord, wake us up. Wake up American culture to the reality of your wrath and your sin. God, do a good work empower believers to receive this message. And Lord, would you please save anybody here that's lost and underneath and feeling the weight of wrath. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, welcome, welcome. Romans chapter 1, verses 20 through 32 is where we're going to be this morning in the text. And so if you haven't already opened your Bibles there, go ahead and do that. Excited to preach this sermon. This is a sermon that is um, a build-off of Andy's last week. And Romans 1, 
is not pulling any punches. So I'm not going to pull any punches either. Amen? I'm not doing that. Um, by God's grace, this will be a very uh, good, truthful, Holy Spirit will use the message in your life. That's my prayer anyway. The human race is a curious case study, is it not? We are a bunch of weirdos, amen? I mean, humans are both majestic and maddening at the same time. And the human condition is very odd at times and very serious. Samuel Johnson, who was an English writer in the 1700s, he said this, I hate mankind. It's not very nice. For I think myself to be one of the best of them. That's kind of arrogant. And I know how bad I am. It's a good quote. And uh, to celebrate the ACBC National Conference this week, we have a team of people. They actually uh, we had a good crew of people leave for Memphis, Tennessee after the first service. We got some more people leaving this afternoon. So we have a counseling conference this week. And so in celebration of the ACBC Biblical Counseling Conference, uh, I figured a quote from Sigmund Freud might be in order. We don't believe everything Siggy says, okay? Uh, Pastor Andy told me, he's like, oh yeah, that guy liked his cocaine a lot. And I'm like, oh, I didn't know, didn't know such things. But Andy does, you know, so I trust him. So Sigmund Freud, I don't agree with a lot of things Sigmund Freud says, so this is not an endorsement of Siggy, but here's what you need to hear what he said. In the depths of my heart, I can't help being convinced that my dear fellow men, with few exceptions, are worthless. End quote. (laughs) So without saying too many words, our culture, broadly speaking, is in a moral tailspin. Would you agree? Okay. We're in a moral tailspin, and this tailspin is the result of our rejection of God. We as a culture have rejected God in so many ways. Now, we don't use the word sin anymore, right? We don't use the word sin, unless you're at church and use sin. Or you're hanging out with your Christian friends, then you use sin, maybe. Depends on, you know, whether you're conservative or liberal Christian, right? We don't use the word sin anymore. We've replaced those words with words like this. Mistakes. Made a few mistakes. Or this phrase, there's some opportunities to improve. What are we saying? Well, there's opportunities for growth here. The Bible would say it's a sin issue. You need to repent, get right. Um, we use phrases like lapse in judgment. I had a lapse in judgment. Well, again, this is a sign. These are cultural signs that we're moving away from the Bible's definition of what sin might be, and we're going into other realms, right? Most people, churched and unchurched, do not take God seriously. Most people in our culture don't think they have a lot to worry about. Honestly. The generation coming up, I just talked to my teenage daughter. The generation coming up really doesn't think they have a lot to take seriously. Because God may not even exist. So why am I worried about standing before him if there isn't even is a deity 
that exists somewhere and I have to stand before him. I'm not that worried. He'll wink and nod. Let me in. I'm not that bad of a person. So most people in our culture today do not take God seriously. There is a broad and arrogant ignorance in the hearts and souls of people. Life is not too serious. Self-expression is ultimate in life. And human approval, getting other people to approve of my habits and attitudes and beliefs and outlooks is equated with eternal life almost. A culture that is on the downhill slide often can't recognize the danger they're in. Which is why most Americans don't take American Christianity very seriously because they don't view there to be a danger we're talking about. We're not in danger, we're fine. We're all fine here. If you study historical societies that have fallen or been destroyed, you need not look much farther than the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire was destroyed not by enemies without, but within the people themselves. Rome fell because the people themselves didn't think there was a problem, and there was so much internal strife that the the, uh, empire fell. How about a more... A contemporary example, historically, of Nazi Germany. If you've ever studied Nazi Germany in your history books, you understand that that Hitler and his compadres, right, they didn't really take very many threats seriously. They thought they were just going to run over everyone. And even if you've done any reading of World War II history, you know that Hitler, to almost his dying day, sat in Berlin not believing the reports he was being given of losses that were happening all throughout the war. And ultimately, he died in this crazy belief, right, that it wasn't really that bad. Hmm. Not that there's any American parallelisms, right, today, but a culture that doesn't define sin or recognize sin or the judgment of God with some seriousness, will be lost and quickly destroyed by the very judgment of God on them. So when I was 17 years old, just to make a a little bit personal story of the judgment of God, when I was 17, I made a very foolish and sinful decision, which I won't get into. But the sin that I committed would land me in some hot water. I was... um, Ended up in a, in a police station where I discovered that the foolish decisions that I had made and my actions had, had not only carried within myself, but they have actually covered into the lives of some other people. And a police officer sat and looked at me at 17 years old and said, look, because of your actions, an elderly gentleman nearly lost his life. And had he died, Josh, you would be sentenced to 15 years in juvenile prison. That was a woe moment for me. That was a woe moment. Because I was shaken by what I was hearing. Now, I'm a teenager. I'm 17. Teenagers make sinful and foolish decisions on a regular basis. Can I get an amen? I mean, that's what teenagers do. 
I never thought that my teenage decision would affect my life in that kind of way. When I heard those numbers and that kind of seriousness coming my way and to think that a life that I had altered someone else's life and nearly taken someone else's life, that was the moment which the judgment that was coming upon me hit a whole new level. Every person has to have that moment. You may not have the same story as me, but some of you have been in police cells. Some of you have been in courtrooms. Some of you have been in trouble where God has pushed you to the very limits of what you think you can handle and you are desperate for God, right? That was my moment, one of them. You would think I would have become a Christian the next day, right? (laughs) That did not happen. I continued on my sinful path for quite some time after that. And I didn't meet Jesus until later. But that was a wake-up moment for me about the justice and judgment of just man. Don't break the law, dummy. Stop breaking the law, right? Some of you know what I'm talking about. I never considered the legal consequences of my actions. I never thought about the future. I just made my decisions in the moment. I thought it was the best decision that involved fun for me. And then if I would have stood before a judge, I would have looked at that judge and with petrifying fear, no doubt. And I would have said, hey, judge, man, I mean, how, how bad is it? How bad is this? I mean, what am I, what am I really looking at here, right? I never had to stand before a court, but that was the title of my sermon this morning is, how bad is it? Every sinner is going to stand before God. And the reality of your life is, is this. You have an inescapable destiny with God Almighty. And when you stand in in front of his holiness, his perfection, some of you will be tempted to say, well, your honor, I mean, how how bad is it anyway? I mean, how bad are we talking here? Because you want to barter with God. You want to barter with the divine authority and justice of Almighty God. And I would say that is a cultural thing that every person is doing, churched or unchurched, everybody as a culture is like, well, how bad is it? I mean, we keep redefining all the things and all the categories and we keep doing what we want to do and we keep pushing aside God because we've rejected him. So how bad is it? What are the repercussions really? Well, we're all a bunch of lawbreakers, amen? That's us. Every one of us. If you're a church person, you're like, oh yeah, this is for all the pagans. This sermon by Paul in Romans 1, 20 to 32, that's all those pagan people out there somewhere. You just wait, you're going to get yours next week. All right, church people, arrogant. I won't say any more words. If you're church, your church sermon's coming next week in Romans 2. Because here's what Paul's trying to do. Paul has done his... His, his opening argument, his salutations, he's given his reasons for why he's writing. Now he gets to brass tacks. This is the gospel. And he's going to start laying out the gospel. And he's basically going to lay out in Romans 1 through 3, everyone, churched or unchurched, religious or non-religious, is a sinner in the eyes of God. And the judgment of God falls on all people who don't know Christ. So Paul is encompassing everyone. 
For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. All means everybody. So the first item that Paul's trying to address is everyone is a sinner, churched or unchurched, and he's dealing with the pagans first in Romans 1, and he's saying, here is the reality of, of the, the good news. And you're like, hey, I thought the gospel was supposed to be good news. Right? Good news. Like, skip out of church and get a Casey's donut on the way out. And life's supposed to be happy. I'm supposed to smile. My football team's supposed to win. No, no, no. No, no, no. I'm supposed to just be full of joy all the time. No, look, the gospel, the good news doesn't make sense, doesn't get inside your soul unless you first understand the bad news. You got to have the bad news first. So then the good news makes sense and you want the good news. If you're hearing a gospel without the bad news of God's judgment and wrath and sin, you are not hearing the gospel. Belief without conviction of sin and the judgment of God is not authentic faith. Because once you know the problem and once you know how bad it is, the bad news of sin and judgment, you will want Jesus. Trust me, you will want him. Hopefully. Now, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Please understand that sinners take on all kinds of shapes and sizes, just like um, all cultures everywhere, there's religious sinners and pagan sinners. People that go to church and sin all the time and don't know Jesus. And then there's pagan people who never darken the door of a church, but they're lost as well. Civilized and uncivilized, right? You've got, you've got Des Moines people and then you've got country bumpkins, right? And most people will look at Des Moines and be like, you're rural, <laughs> Right? You got all kinds of sinners, extreme and not extreme, loud sinners and quiet sinners. Some of you are very quiet sinners. You think you're all righteous. You're not righteous. God sees all your thoughts. Some of you are loud sinners and you know it. People tell you that all the time. Such a sinner. I know, right? But how bad is it, your honor? How bad, God, is it? How bad is our sin? How sinful are we? Mankind's sinfulness is bad enough that God is handing down judgments in this text. Just handing out judgments. He is the judge. We are in a courtroom. God is handing out sentences. Three times in this passage. Look at verse 24. God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity. God gave them up. Verse 26. God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Look at verse 28. God gave them up to a debased mind or depraved mind. To do what ought not be done. This, this phrase, God gave them up, is a strong judicial Greek word. It means to hand over to the authority of another. So this is a courtroom setting. God is the judge and he is handing out sentences to all the guilty, all the church people and all the unchurched people. Everybody's under sin. The wrath of God is upon a culture. And that's the big idea for the message this morning is God is handing, handing sinners over to judgment and wrath. And it's this judgment that shows people how sinful they really are. So how bad is it? That's the question we're going to answer this morning. How bad is our sin condition? It's really bad. Way worse than you could ever imagine. And the reason that, that, that 
Christianity is suffering so much in our cultures because we have a bunch of churches and Christians all over this United States of America that don't say hard things to people. They don't say anything hard. You ever heard the phrase, hard words produce soft people? You ever heard that? And soft words produce hard people. We got a country full of Christianity that just doesn't say hard words. And so by God's grace, we're going to look at the word and we're going to say, how bad is it? And we're going to hear hard things, hard stuff. And it's in that hard stuff that we find joy and freedom in Jesus. So the first evidence of how bad sinful humanity is, is God's wrath. That's the first evidence that it's really bad, is the wrath of God. Verse 18. So verse 18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Man's sin is so bad that it triggers the wrath of Almighty God. Now this wrath word in verse 18, it means divine righteous retribution provoked by moral evil. Okay? Divine righteous retribution that has been provoked by moral evil. This word is 10 times in the book of Romans. And this word is a really interesting word. It means a settled or determined indignation of God. Settled and determined. This is a different Greek word than uncontrolled rage. Two different words. So many times when people hear about the wrath of God, they're like, oh, you mean God's angry in heaven? He's just full of anger and venting and he's up there in heaven. He's just like, I'm going to just take Josh Daggett down. I'm going to nail that guy, right? Like God's in heaven just waiting, right, to drop the hammer. That's what a lot of people think. That is not the word. Pastor Andy said it really well last week. God is not throwing a temper tantrum. Do you remember that? God is not throwing a temper tantrum. God is settling into a determined indignation or opposition against those sinners who have rejected and suppressed his truth. God is settled against those folks. Now, God's wrath is full of fury, for sure. I just finished the book of Job. You guys know what I'm talking about? Job. Job 40 through 42. Whoa, God shows up on the scene, gets right in Job's face, in the whirlwind. Here comes God. Bam! I mean, he just nails Job. And he says, where were you when I created the earth? Where were you? If you're so smart, if you're so righteous, where were you when I set the boundaries of the oceans? Where were you when I did all these things? He just bam, 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 bam. And I'm reading my Bible, you know, on Wednesday, drinking my coffee, thinking, glad I'm not that guy. Whoa. Whoa. Okay, so the wrath of God involves fury. But I would also say it involves sorrow, deep sorrow. God takes no pleasure in judging sinners. You see what I'm saying, church? God takes no pleasure in sending someone to hell. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says that God doesn't wish that any should perish, but all should reach repentance. God is not full of this wrath with no compassion. God loves sinners. God absolutely does not want anybody to perish and go to hell. Amen? So I would say for this crowd this morning, if there's one of you that is wondering whether or not God is angry at you or not, well, he's angry at your sin for sure. 
He's very displeased by your arrogance, by your pushing away from him, your rejection of him, but he loves you. And he sent Jesus to die for you. And so there's this amazing power of fury and compassion in God that just allows him to be absolutely balanced in how he brings the judgment of God. Amazing. We can't get this because we're, we're like pendulum swingers, aren't we? Like we're, we're just all spitting truth or we're totally compassion and we can't get it. Like the only moment we're balanced, right, is when we're swinging right in the center. We're like, I'm here. Oh, right? That's most Christians. I'm here. I'm, I'm balanced. Oh, right? That's most Christian sanctification. Because you're slowing down your pendulum more and more, but you're still prone to either speak truth or have all compassion. God is both. He's perfect. So God's wrath is, is currently happen, happening, is being revealed. The wrath of God is being revealed. It's a present continuous here. So America is absolutely experiencing the wrath of God broadly as a culture. We, we would absolutely be okay in saying from this text of scripture, we are currently experiencing the wrath of God. When is the wrath of God coming on America? Right now. How? Well, progressively, right? It's just one category at a time. The sexual revolution of the 1960s still marches on today. Thanks all you people, you hippies, right? Thanks for all of you guys getting that sexual revolution thing going. Just kidding, right? The 90s generation is way worse. My generation is awful. <laughs> but you should see the 2010s and 2020s, right? Can I get an amen? I mean, they're terrible. That was supposed to be funny. Okay. <laughs> that landed better at 8.30. They were with it. All right. So here's the deal, right? We're so, we're so like, oh, we're so much better. We're better than that generation. We're better than the 60 generation. We're better. Here's the deal. None of us are better. This is so a reality of the judgment of God. The sexual redefinition of our culture continues on. We're like, how many more U-turns are we going to take with defining sexuality? Where are we going to go next? I don't know. It's just going to keep getting crazier. You know why? Because we're under the wrath of God. We are under the wrath of God. And unless people repent and get saved, I mean, this is going to just march on. We've rejected God in our schools, broadly speaking. We have removed God. We've removed the Bible, removed prayer from public schools. Like that has happened a long time ago before any of us were born. We're, we're inheriting this reality and here we are and we're looking. And that doesn't mean we don't have good teachers. We have great teachers and great students and Christian teachers and Christian students everywhere. But at, we're saying big umbrella, broadly speaking, education is under the wrath of God in this country. Absolutely. So everything's splitting off everywhere because we don't know what the realities are now that we've rejected God. Now we're dealing with all the things. What about what we honor? We honor and worship sports, money, power, and celebrity. We love our sports. We love money. We love power, and we love celebrity. If you have any of those things, we love you. We'll worship you. We'll make an idol of you and we will absolutely lift you up. What is that? Why are we replacing God with all of these sports and money and power and celebrity people? Because we're under the wrath of God. If we reject God, we'll fill God with anything we can that we think will be a savior for us or a Messiah. We love killing and violence in our culture. 
So we're cheapening human life every single day amongst our youth and our kids and our middle age and our older people. We love killing and violence where our movies are about them. Our video games are about them. It's all about that. And what is that? It's an evidence of the wrath of God. We have lost the ability and we feel this absence of God in our culture. How bad is it, your honor? Real bad. The wrath of God is upon us. It will continue to culminate and build until the end of the age when we will see the wrath of God poured out on this earth unlike anything we have ever seen. How bad is it? It's real bad. Evidence number two of how bad sinful humanity is is a depraved mind. The second evidence of the depth of sin is a depraved mind. Verse 28 through 31. And since they didn't see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. And they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness and evil. And the list goes on and on. Man's sin is so bad that God hands over judgment called a depraved mind, a debased mind. Now, if you don't know this word, here's what this word means. The word debased is depraved, which means to not stand the test. So this is used of metals and metalworking, where metals were rejected because of impurities. So impure metals were heated up and discarded. It was called the dross, and you would throw that stuff away. So this word is directly tied to our metalworkers and our blacksmiths and our welders. Amen, right? All of you who work with metal, you're awesome. We thank God for you. This passage is for you, right? So if you're a metal worker, you're heating up the metal because you want to work with the best stuff. The impurities come to the top. You, you fish those things out, and that's called depravity. That's called being debased, right? So if you're a metal worker, you can start using sin terms with the metal that doesn't work for you, right? Like a boss, right? You can start working with your metal. Like, it's depraved, sinful metal, you know? Like you can, you can do that. And here's the reality, right? This depraved metal is applied to the human soul where we are depraved. We are debased. We have been given a mind that is filled with all kinds of sin. When we reject God, God rejects our minds. So that makes life really important. When you see the graciousness of God and the beauty of creation and the manifold witness of God that he gives to you through general revelation, you best be making the right decision, right? To say, I believe in God, I want more light. I believe in God, I want more revelation. Not, ah, I'll do my own thing. Thanks very much. So if we say no to God, God will say no to our minds. And a sinner who doesn't know Jesus, if they push God away, what fills that mind? Garbage. 21 sins that Paul lists in about two verses. That's what fills it. Now, this is a really interesting word for filled. They were filled or they were full of depravity. So what happens when you reject God is that your mind gets filled up with all the garbage. Now we would think of normally like a water bottle being full. So if I fill up the water bottle, if I reject God, all right, my water bottle gets filled with sin. I have a depraved mind. I get filled with all kinds of unrighteousness and stuff. That's what we think of, right? That's not the word Paul uses here. Paul is not talking about a filling up of a bottle. All right. 
He's talking about putting on a glove. This is the better illustration. I got my Michael Jackson glove. Amen. All right, got this. I I will do a moonwalk or two after service if you want to see that. But this is how depravity works in this context, right? If you reject God, right, God leaves and he's like, okay, I'm rejecting your mind. So it's an exchange. What comes in is sin, sin of all kinds, right? And it fills up the glove. You see how it's a different kind of fill? So you're filling up the glove and then your mind is basically under the control of sin, So you're basically a robot moving around. That's why people who don't know Christ, they can't help themselves. They literally are acting and doing whatever is in their instincts and it's sin. And the sin actually plays the person like a puppet, like this. So when you're talking about depravity and you're talking about a debased mind full of sin, think of this glove. This is how sin operates within the mind of those who reject God, like a puppet. So don't get angry if they don't know Christ. Look at them with mercy. They don't know what they're doing. They're literally just being filled and being played by sin. So Paul lists 21 sins, 21 in two verses. And I would need about two hours to preach this. I've got about 17 minutes, maybe 15, 13, whatever. So I'm not going to hit all these. Praise the Lord, right? Praise the Lord. Okay. Unrighteousness, evil, covetous, malice, envy, murder, strife, deceit, hostility, gossips, slanderers, haters of God. That's quite a list. I'm just going to run through the rest and then hit a few highlights of these lists. This is an incredible list of sin. Insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Now, this is not an exhaustive list, but it is a comprehensive list. It's not everything you could write, but it is comprehensive. It covers all the main categories. And I just want to work through a few of these. When you are under the judgment of God, when a human is under the judgment of God and has rejected God and is filled with a depraved mind, part of the depravity is these lists. And I want you to look at the word boastful. Insolent, arrogant, boastful. That word means an empty pretender, a big talker, no follow-through-er, right? You ever met a big talker? Sure. Yep, everybody has. You might be the big talker. I don't know. But when you meet a sinner who doesn't know God and they just blow smoke and they're just talking, all, look at all the stuff I did, look at all the things I used to do, look at all the things I can do, and here's all this stuff. No follow-through, but just a lot of noise, a lot of hot air. That is the, the, the definition of being under the wrath of God when you don't know Christ and you're boasting like this and you're a big talker, no follow-through. That's what it means to have a depraved mind. What if you go down? Inventors of evil. And disobedient to parents. Let's, let's highlight disobedient to parents. Can I get a parent amen? Yeah, let's hit that one for a while. Disobedient to parents. I mean, it looks like, what in the world is this doing in the list, Paul? There's 21 other things. Like, why are we doing this one? Because our society cannot survive if kids do not obey their parents. Can't survive. We cannot have a long-standing society that actually succeeds if kids don't obey their parents. Why? Because kids are the foundation of culture. Family is the foundation of culture. And if you've got kids that don't know how to obey, don't know how to submit, 
to their parents, don't know how to follow their parents, don't know how to love their parents. We have a whole world of hurt. What is going on in America today is mainly biblically a parenting issue. We got a lot of kids that have no discipline at home and the reality is, is that will absolutely kill us. So we have to love our kids and discipline them and so they are obedient as unto the Lord. Can I get a parent? Amen. Right? And, and then all the more reason to support Julie McDaniel. Amen. All the more reason to get them here for Kids for Truth because look, we have a massive task in front of us to help the society move forward. We have to get the gospel into these kids so they can absolutely see what obedience means and what disobedience means. Okay, moving on. Foolish and faithless. I just want to highlight the word foolish. That means without understanding or unintelligent or stupid. Now, this is, this is just humans who are out, apart from God's grace, outside of the church, everywhere in culture, and they are just talking without understanding, unintelligent speech. Blah, 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 blah. Not thinking about it. Just spewing out words, curse words, anti-God words, whatever. They're doing it because that's natural to them, and they're, they have a depraved mind, so they're just doing that. Brandon and I were walking together, doing our meeting outside, the other day, and we walked up on some junior high students, okay, and we saw this word, foolish, at work. They were playing some sort of ball, ultimate frisbee thing, I don't know what it was all about, but like, like seriously, there was like three of the kids, four of the kids, I mean, foolish. Every word was a cuss word. Like, that's what it was, like the entire time. For no real reason whatsoever. Like, Brandon and I were just like, what's the purpose of the, all the cursing? Like, like, there is literally no purpose. Literally none. And everybody's just like, these are the words that I know. And I know it gets a reaction and I'm loud. So there's like three or four of them that, dom- you know how they dominate like junior high fields and stuff. Like, oh yeah, everybody else is like, that's bad. But, you know, they're bigger and stronger and louder. So then all of a sudden this girl spoke up and it was really cool. This girl spoke up and she's like, you guys, you're so, and you can tell she's just searching for the word. You're so, and then she just, you're so embarrassing. You're so embarrassing. And all of a sudden it quieted down and I'm like, that was a word, right? Of wisdom because they were just talking foolishness. And that is the reality of the judgment of God on a group of people, a group of sinners who have rejected him. There's foolish talk all the time. And then the last one I want to highlight is the word heartless. Heartless and ruthless. The word heartless there is a reference to unnatural family relationships. People who are under the judgment of God have a heartless view of family relationships. And this is so current, it's unbelievable. Parents abandoning their small or infant children is the idea here. That's the idea of heartless. Parents abandoning their small or infant children. That happens in our culture, obviously. It also goes the other way. Grown children abandoning their aging parents. Thanks, parents. You're getting older. Sorry, too bad for you. Heartless. Figure it out on your own. No help from us. That's a culture that is under the wrath of God. 
So this is a depraved mind. How bad is it, judge? How bad is the sin condition of humanity? Really bad. Really bad. Way worse than you ever thought. And the third evidence of how bad sinful humanity is, is a destructive alliance. And I'll fly through this. A destructive alliance, verse 32. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. Man's sinful nature is so bad, outside of the grace of God, it brings this, these destructive alliances about. Sinners potting together with other sinners and circling up with them to approve each other in their sin. That is literally the judgment of God on a culture is when you have pods or groups of people getting together saying, we know the righteous decree of God. We get all that, yada, yada, yada. I went to Sunday school when I was a kid. But we need to pod together now. We need to support each other in our rejection of God. And we will absolutely not only do this with you, but we will clap for you and support you in what you're doing against God. Again, not that we're seeing this in our culture at all. But if you can try to make the connection to the Bible, <laughs> the word give approval means to applaud, means to clap. Which brought to my mind this question, what does a society clap for? What do we clap for? I think what a culture claps for communicates what they value. So what are we clapping for in our culture today? Lots of things. How many of those claps are for Jesus Christ? That's why I like clapping after songs, to be honest. Because I'm like, this is our one chance, man. This is our one chance as Christians to give Jesus some praise here. So all of you non-clappers, you better start clapping, right? <laughs> because we clap for so many other things, man. We're clapping for sports people. Woo! We're clapping for our kids because our kids can be idols. Woo, we love our kids. We're doing that. We're clapping for every single social sin ever. We are clapping for those things now. And we're getting around each other. We're clapping. Clapping indi indicates support. God's judgment is seen on a culture and on a society when the rebelliousness against God is paraded down Main Street. On social media, people seek applause and they get it. In a, in a rebellious society against God, sin not only gets support, but it gets corporate support. On various levels and to various extents, corporations and other people, big money, get excited about approving the sinners in their sin instead of telling them about Jesus. And in some cases, we're even twisting what Jesus says. So that it sounds Christian. And we're saying, oh, Jesus is behind this. Is he? Is the Lord Jesus Christ behind sin? Is that what he's behind? I was counseling with a homosexual man uh, years ago. And we were going through his Genesis story. How'd you get here? Where are we at? And uh, he had come to Christ. And so we were counseling and I said, hey, just tell me, shoot me straight, man. Like, was it all about 
the thing or was it about the response? And he said, Pastor, it was all about the response. It wasn't about the thing. It was about the response. I felt love. I felt acceptance. I felt joy. I felt momentum. And that's what I did it for. We had a lot of other conversations, as you might imagine. But these destructive alliances are real, right? Because the rebellion against God is real. And this is the bad news, right? If Isaiah 5 says this, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness. Woe to the culture where it's backwards, right? Where light is viewed as darkness and darkness is viewed as light. Where sweet is bitter and bitter is sweet. Isaiah of old says, please watch out. If your culture is moving that way, you're under the wrath of God. And that's the third alliance, the evidence that our sin is very, very, very serious. So how, how bad is it, judge? Very bad. Very bad. Worse than you could ever think. God's wrath is upon a culture. God's, God's wrath is giving people over to depravity. God's wrath is, is leading to destructive alliances. And all of this is bad news. I mean, don't you feel so discouraged right now? You should. Because you look at, I'm just a person. How do I change this culture? How do we do this? And here's the reality. The wrath of God is meant to feel heavy. Absolutely. It's the bad news we need so that we can understand the good news of Jesus. We're in a desperate situation. God's judgment is thick in our culture today. It's almost like we need a wrath-removing sacrifice. It's almost like we need a hero, a Messiah, to come and take the wrath of God upon himself. Jesus Christ agrees that the wrath of God is coming. Jesus said that the world is desperately sinful and its deeds were wicked. John 7, verse 7, Jesus said that. Jesus also said that the world would love darkness rather than light. John 3, 19. Jesus also said that the world hated him and it would hate any follower of him. The world is against you. Jesus agrees with all that. But what Christ did is he died on that cross to be the wrath-removing sacrifice for us. He drank all of the wrath of God to the full. That's what the blood was for. To forgive you of every sin you've ever committed, if you will humble yourself before God and receive Christ as your Savior. So for those of you who are Christians, you've already received Christ I want to encourage you as we close our service, and I'll just close again up here. Sorry, Brandon. I want to encourage you, if you know Christ, this wrath thing is heavy, but you will never bear an ounce of weight because Christ has paid your penalty. Amen? So there should be a level of gratitude inside of you that just rises up inside you to say, I cannot believe God found me. God saved me. Praise the Lord. And you need to share that with as many people as you can because we've got work to do. We've got a commission to fulfill. And if you're here and you don't know Christ and this is unsettling because all you feel like you're hearing is bad news, that's exactly right. It is a heavy, heavy thing to be under the wrath of God.
So for some of you need Christ, you need to trust in Jesus. He's the one who can save you. He's the one that can redeem your life. And so I would invite you to do that this morning. All right, let's all stand up. We'll respond to God and we'll dismiss our time. Father, thank you so much for the word. God, such a good word, a hard word, heavy word. How bad is it, O judge of all mankind? It's very bad. Worse than we could ever think, worse than we could ever imagine. God, your wrath hangs over our country, hangs over our neighborhoods, hangs over our way of life. It, it hangs on us like a heavy weight, and we feel the, the, the reality of people who are not forgiven by Jesus. So, Lord, we feel that this morning. And, God, we acknowledge that we need you so much. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for every person here. Every person who is a Christian, Lord, would you encourage them with thankfulness and gratitude and mission and uh, sharing the gospel with as many people as possible. And Lord, for those who are here that don't know Christ, would you lead them to Jesus even this morning? May they feel the weight of their sin and choose to believe in Jesus. Lord, make us courageous. Make us strong in Jesus Christ. And Lord, dismiss us with your blessing, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you guys. Love you. You're dismissed.